This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Yeah, so uh, thank you, Will, for leading us. It actually uh, worked out perfectly because uh, my dad and Pastor Dave are out of town, and then Monica is sort of my backup, and then Katie's like my emergency third-string backup, and everybody is in Nicaragua, so I was like, yeah, I really don't want to have to get up here and, and sing and then come up and, and, and preach and everything. And it just so happened that Will was in town, so it worked out perfectly. So thank you so much, Will. Well, uh, like Mom was saying, I, uh, I guess I'm her oldest child of the, uh, of the youngest batch. But uh, I was counting it down, and I'm probably maybe like probably the third or fourth favorite son because uh, we were talking about this the other day. And mom, uh, she's in church, so she can't lie about it. But the, the way it works is uh, Pastor Dave has always been the favorite son. And she, she'll deny it. She'll deny it. But everybody, all of her children know it's true. But then the ways that she prioritizes. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, thank you, mom. Now. Thank you, thank you, mother, but don't, don't let her fool you. <laughs> the way it works, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I have to just, you know, share from my heart, and I have to be honest, I have to open up. <laughs> so, Pastor Dave, everybody knows that, probably even everybody at church knows that. But then the way she prioritizes after that is whichever child has uh, the biggest thing going on in their life at the time, or whichever child has been away the longest. And so uh, that leaves my uh, brothers, Jason and Ben, who live in Indiana, so they're above me. And then uh, Joe, normally Joe's at the bottom of the list, but Joe has been away at Marine training for the last few weeks. So that uh, temporarily swaps me below Joe. So I guess that puts me what? Is that fifth? Fourth? Fifth? Fifth, yeah. See, she just admitted it. Thank you. <laughs> See, I knew it. I knew it. Thank you, thank you. At least, uh, at least I can say that of all the sons, I have the largest beard. So, got that going for me. Oh yeah, and, and I'm the best looking too. I, I think. Sorry, sorry. All right, all right. Let's uh, let's get ready to get into the word today. Um, my title today is. No regrets. Yeah. And uh, my original title was going to be Godly Sorrow, um, but that doesn't sound very fun. And so my lovely, beautiful, very pregnant wife up here suggested I go with no regrets. And I, I had no idea what she was talking about. So she pulls up this video and she's like, I need you to watch this video. So, uh, so let's have the ushers run back. Flip those lights off and show this. It's a really quick video, but this is where. Sorry. Sorry. Red Gertz. Sorry, I was eating a Milky Way. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. And so it made perfect sense to me because... It has candy bar in the commercial, and if anybody knows my wife, she is all about the candy bars. 
So uh, the title is No Regrets, but uh, our working title will go with Godly Sorrow. Uh, let's, if we can, uh, let me actually, let's open us up with prayer. Let me, let me pray for us first. Father God, in Jesus' name, we just love you, Lord God, and, and we're so thankful for this chance to gather in your name, Lord, and, and the chance to just worship you, Lord, and, and lift up our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father God, for sending your only Son to die for us to take away our sins, Lord God, so we can live free of guilt and shame. Um, just as I speak today, Lord, help me to speak only the words you would have me to speak. Anything that's not of you, I ask that you just had it fall to the ground. And everything else, Lord God, your word says that your scripture, your word will not return void, but it will accomplish what you're set out for it to do. So help me to speak your words so that they accomplish everything they need to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So uh, let's flip over, if we can, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, you'll forgive me, I take frequent water breaks. I, I get super thirsty when I talk up here. Oh, if you need uh, one of those handouts, raise your hand. I, uh, The ushers will give it to you. So you can... Uh, what's that? Yeah, yeah, my mom's holding up one there. So, yeah, raise your hand. I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second to, uh, to turn it to Romans 8 while simultaneously raising your hand for a handout. Because you're going to want to take detailed notes. I'm a very deep and theological speaker. Just kidding. I, I like to pretend that I am, but pretty much just the opposite. Um, Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse 1. This is one of the most uh, powerful verses in the whole Bible. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And this is a promise from God. When we belong to Christ Jesus, we're no longer condemned. We don't have to feel that guilt and shame when we truly belong to Christ Jesus. But it's not something that comes automatically to us. I think a lot of people... uh, get confused about Christianity. I think they think, um, you know, they can just say a one-time prayer and say, you know what, I believe in you, Jesus. Say that prayer one time and then they're set for life. But actually, uh, I was talking to the men's group yesterday. As Christians, Christian means someone that's Christ-like. I think it's important for us to actually read the words of Jesus to see what he actually said. And Jesus never told us anywhere that we're supposed to just lead people in a a one-time prayer to say, you know, I believe in Jesus, and then set it and forget it. They're good for life. Um, Let's uh, let's flip over to Matthew 28, and let's see what Jesus actually told us that we're supposed to be doing with these uh, with people. You know, as Christians, we should be pointing people to Jesus. So Matthew chapter 28. Uh, These are some of the uh, last words Jesus, the last instructions Jesus gave to us Christians before, uh, after, you know, he died, he rose again, and then uh, he went back up to heaven to be with God. And these are some of the last instructions he gave us on earth before he went up there. So Matthew 28, uh, let's flip down to verse 19. And he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, 
if we going from this verse, Jesus didn't tell us to lead people in a one time, you know, I believe I believe in Jesus prayer. And then and then just they never have to worry anything again. In fact, the Bible says that the devil believes in Jesus. So so if all we do is uh, have people pray a one time prayer saying they believe in Jesus, then they're on the same level at that point as the devil because uh, the, the devil believes in Jesus. But what Jesus actually said is that we need to go and make disciples. And I think this is where a lot of many of the uh, uh, modern day Christians probably get a bit confused. Because a lot of times the modern day Christians will say something to the effect of, you know, once you say your prayer to believe in Jesus, you're set for life and and you no longer have to feel guilty about anything ever again. You're just you're just set. You're good. You're good to go. And this is not only incorrect, but it's actually quite dangerous. Um. As I was studying for this sermon, I looked up, there's actually uh, is a group of people uh, who never feel guilty about anything ever. And uh, as I was studying, uh, they're known in the psychiatric community as psychopaths. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, if we were to, to take that extension, a lot of the modern day Christians might say, go rather than make disciples, they would be saying, go and make psychopaths. Because we don't want anybody to feel guilty about anything ever. Uh, Dr. Michael L. Tompkins, he's a psychologist at the Sacramento County Mental Health Treatment Center. He said a psychopath simply does not have a conscience. They will steal from you without feeling the slightest twinge of guilt. So, while it's true that once we are Christians, we're no longer under condemnation, There is a process we have to follow to get out of condemnation. And the first thing we have to do to live free of condemnation is we have to have godly sorrow. So let's uh, let's flip over to Second Corinthians, chapter seven. This is a this is a really powerful verse. Um, It kind of explains a little bit of the process, why this godly sorrow is necessary. I'll give you a second to flip. Usually when I get up here, I get nervous and go too fast. And then Julie says I didn't give people time to get to their scriptures. And then I get a solid beating when I get home. Second Corinthians chapter 7. And let's flip down, uh, if we can, to verse 10. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. But the thing I want to see from this scripture is that there is a really a real thing called godly sorrow. And in order for us to ever repent and be able to receive God's salvation, this no condemnation, we have to first have this godly sorrow. Uh, I was telling I was talking to Julie and uh Recently, I had a friend, one of my friends that had kind of like a a bit of a a, a public blow up and and it wasn't wasn't really a good thing. But uh, I wanted to go home and pray for him. So as I was praying for him, uh, I was kind of asking the Holy Spirit what to pray. And, you know, typically what a lot of us pray is, oh, Lord, just don't let them feel bad about themselves. Let them just realize that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Let them just feel good about themselves. But the Holy Spirit led me to this scripture. So 
When I prayed instead, instead of praying that they'd feel all good about themselves, I prayed, Holy Spirit, I ask you to keep them up all night. I pray that they don't get a wink of sleep until they realize what they have did was wrong. They feel sorry for it and they repent. Yeah, and that's right out of this scripture. And so, sure enough, uh, within the, the next day or so, they called me back. I, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. And that's exactly what I was hoping would happen. You know, the Holy Spirit would get on their case because what do you, if I just prayed, oh, don't let them feel bad about it. You know, let them know that everything's going to be all right, that you love them anyways, Lord God. Just let everything be all right. They would have never turned around from what they had done before. They probably next time it probably would be ten times worse. And that's not what we want. We want this godly sorrow that turns us to repentance. Without truly feeling sorry or bad about what you've done, there can never be true repentance. Um. In, while we're in 2 Corinthians 7, I want us to flip up a couple of verses uh, to chapter 8 to get a little bit more of the context of what he's talking about here. Uh, in verse 8, and this is in the New Living Translation, he says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because that pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so that you are not harmed by us in any way. And uh, this is I want the context of this verse. Like I said, I'm a very deep theological speaker. Uh, this is the book of Second Corinthians. So when he talks about his previous letter, he's talking about First Corinthians. Um <laughs> Yes, yes, that was very deep. You know, you know that's, what all, that's what all the Bible school is for. Uh, but uh, when, when, these books, when these books were written, they were actually just letters that Paul was writing to some of his friends at different churches. And so when he talks about this previous letter, he had written a letter uh, to this church in the city of Corinth, basically telling them they were a bunch of dummies. Uh, and re- the reason he was telling them how stupid they were Believe it or not, and this is another one that a lot of modern day uh, Christians have trouble with. He got on this church because they were not judging someone in their congregation who was acting like a moron. Um, and a quick side note, something that seems like we hear all the time anymore is, is people saying, you know, don't judge me or only God can judge me. Just stuff like that. But despite what you hear people saying about that. If you see someone who claims to be a Christian, who will tell you they're a Christian and they're doing something blatantly wrong, it's our Christian responsibility to point it out to them. Uh, the, the, the guy that he was yelling at in First Corinthians, he was doing it says he was doing such a, a blatantly evil thing that you could have walked into any bar or atheist club or whatever, Satanist club in the country, and they would have told you what he was doing was wrong. But the church didn't want him to feel bad, so they just like, it's okay, you just keep doing what you're doing. This guy was actually having an, an affair. Julie said I shouldn't say it, but it's, it's in the Bible. He was having an affair with his dad's wife. You can ask anybody in the world, and they will tell you that's wrong. <laughs> but this church said they didn't, want to, they didn't want him to feel bad, so they're like, it's okay, it's okay, you just do your thing, you know. 
Only God can judge you. We don't want to be judgmental. But Paul got on this church and said, it's your responsibility when someone is acting like this big of a moron to tell him that he's acting like a huge moron. So not only did Paul yell at them for not judging, he had time to think about it. He wrote Second Corinthians and he doubled down on what he said in First Corinthians. Uh, back in verse eight and nine, he says, you know, I'm sorry. She's like, I realize I made you feel bad, but but I'm not sorry because it, it caused you to repent. And so feeling bad caused him to repent. And that's what we need. Now, uh, back to not ever feeling bad about anything. I'm I'm not a huge comic book fan or like a superhero fan. And I'm sure there's probably some here that are. But I can just imagine because my roommate in, in college was a huge comic book fan. I can imagine one of the superpowers they might have is maybe a hero that is just doesn't feel pain or something to that effect. Who, you know, no matter what happens, they don't feel any pain. And I looked it up and there actually is a condition where someone does not feel any pain. It's called, uh, forgive my pronunciation, congenital analgesia also known as a congenital insensitivity to pain, or, so I don't have to keep saying that over and over again, CIP. <laughs> we'll go with CIP. But this is a real medical condition in which people literally cannot feel physical pain. And as cool as that sounds, it's an extremely dangerous condition. Because people usually die in childhood from this disease due to injuries they didn't realize they had. You know, they'll accidentally touch a hot stove and not realize that they just burned their hand off or something because they can't feel it. It's a very, very sad disease, even though, you know, at first blush, you know, never feeling pain sounds maybe kind of cool. It's not cool at all. In fact, we need to feel a certain amount of pain in order to grow physically and spiritually. If you don't realize that, you know, Physically, that your hand's burning off, then you won't do anything to stop it. Uh, physically, if you don't realize that you're doing something, or spiritually, if you don't realize you're doing something wrong, you'll never know to turn. So we need to have that godly sorrow. But the second thing we need to have is we need to have repentance. A true godly sorrow leads us to repentance, and that's what we were just reading. Now, uh, kind of off subject. Uh, I was uh, trying to share this message with Julie last night. Before I preach, I always run it by Julie because she lets me know if I'm going to say anything too crazy. And then usually if she tells me not to say it, I say it anyways. But at least at least I make the conscious decision to say it. But I was talking about, you know, if a Christian does something uh, bad or they should feel sorry for it. And she said, yeah, and if a if a husband does something dumb, he should feel dumb. So <laughs> Thanks a lot, Julie. So I don't know. So I guess uh, that's the word of the Lord through through the prophetess Julie. If you do something dumb, you should feel dumb. But sorry, sorry. I get sidetracked up here. You don't. I wish you knew what was going. Through. I don't wish you knew what's going through my head. Let's uh, turn to First John. First John. We're going to read a little bit about repentance.
Man, all of these scriptures are so good. I feel like every time I get up here, I say that uh, the scripture is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. But I, these really are some of my favorite scriptures. Uh, and probably since I don't get to preach that often, I just, when I get up here, go with what you know. So I preach on my favorite scriptures. <laughs> First John chapter one. And let's flip down to verse nine. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we repent, God has promised us that he'll forgive us. One of the de- I was kind of looking up the definition of repent to see what we were. Make sure I was uh, completely, you know, somewhat on the right track <laughs> and the definition of repent in the dictionary is to feel sorry, self-reproachful or contrite for past conduct, regret or be conscience stricken about a past action, attitude, etc. To feel such sorrow for sin or fault as to be disposed to change one's life for the better, to be penitent. So this is the definition of, of repentance, to feel sorry for or to feel regret. So we can see from the very definition of the word repent that feeling sorrow or pain and repentance go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Uh, like Kind of like I was talking about earlier, kind of a weird example, but a normal person in a natural, if you touch a hot stove, You're going to want to repent, so to speak, because repent means changing what you're doing as well. You're going to repent by changing, having your hand on the hot stove and getting away from that hot stove. It means no longer doing what you were previously doing. So you would repent and get your hand off the stove and hopefully learn your lesson, not touch hot stoves anymore. I don't know. I don't know. But one of the coolest things about God, once... Once we repent and ask for forgiveness, he completely forgives us. He doesn't think of it. In fact, he isn't just telling us, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about it anymore. It'll be all right. He actually, what the Bible says he does, uh, let's flip over to Isaiah 43. He takes it a step further just than, you know, like, you know, if I do something at home, stupid at home, usually Julie will be like, you know, it's okay. It's all right. I forgive you. But God takes it completely a step further. This is really cool. I'll give you a a second further to turn there because Isaiah is probably not one we read every day. Isaiah chapter 43. And we'll flip down to verse 25. It says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. So when God forgives you, he doesn't just, you know, pat you on the back. It's going to be okay. He literally completely erases them and forgets it and never, ever thinks about them ever again. So like I was saying, if I do something dumb at home, Julie might tell me that it's okay. It's all right. But if I do something dumb again, she's going to be like, ah, this is just like that last time. Because as humans, it's hard for us to forget it. But it says God completely forgets about it once you repent. And he never thinks about it ever again. So in order to live a life 
free of condemnation, we need, we've seen godly sorrow. We need repentance. But here's one of the biggest ones, and this is one where a lot of people get confused. Number three, we need to quit sinning. <laughs> quit sinning. Uh, let's turn to John chapter 8. And this is one of the uh, most powerful examples in the Bible of forgiveness. In fact, uh, a lot of times when these modern day Christians, you know, talk about, you know, um, you know, you shouldn't go around judging and stuff. They'll they'll quote this passage. Without realizing, without reading the full passage and without taking in the entire context. So let's uh, John chapter eight. And we'll, we'll go ahead and start in the first cha- uh, verse, verse number one. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Now, uh, I also taught the men's meeting yesterday, kind of off topic, but we were talking a little bit about the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was full of all sorts of, of crazy stuff. Uh, the one we were reading in the, uh, in the men's meeting yesterday uh, is uh, the Bible talks in the Old Testament about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So the way that their law was literally, if, someone, if you get in a fight with someone and they knock out your tooth, then the punishment is you get to go up and just knock their tooth out. And uh, if so, if you get in a fight and they somehow hurt your eye, gouge your eye, the punishment is you literally get to go gouge their eye out. Uh, and, so, you know, of course, some of the men thought that sounded kind of cool. But uh, Jesus said that we don't live that way anymore. That was the that was the old rules. And so they what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, you know, their law said if a woman was caught in adultery, then the punishment is you stone her. Which, and I always get a little bit confused by this chapter because uh, if I remember back to like my, uh, you know, our biology classes and all of that, I, from what I recall, I think it takes two people to commit adultery. But I don't know why they always uh, they always seem to focus on the woman. They just brought the woman and said we're just going to stone her. But Jesus, he's going to show them right now that that's not how it works. The law of Moses, verse 5, says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. So they don't even care about all this woman or anything, or even about the law. They're just trying to trick Jesus. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And that's powerful. He's telling them that he's changing their entire ways of law. You know, whoever of you is perfect, you're the one that doesn't. There's no, uh, you know, you, you throw the first stone if you think you're such a good, perfect person. And that's powerful. That's powerful. But. 
This passage doesn't stop there. And this is where I think a lot of people get really confused. Let's keep going. Uh, Verse 8, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the, of the crowd with the woman. So they're basically admitting, you, you know, you're right. None of us are perfect. None of us are worthy enough to throw this first stone. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. But here's the catch. Here's the, the, the most important thing. He said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. But you need to, I think I highlighted it, go and sin no more. He didn't say it's all right. You just go do your thing, you know, enjoy your adultery or whatever. He said, I forgive you, but you need to quit what you were doing before. Go and sin no more. So we have to quit sinning. When we continue to sin, even though the Lord's already forgiven us, um, let's flip over real quick to Proverbs 26. The Bible has a a really cool scripture that tells uh, what we look like when we keep falling for the same things over and over again. Uh, If you go through the Proverbs, there's lots of really... Really good, but really weird stuff in there. Some of the men know one of my favorite scriptures talks about. Uh, in fact, uh, oh, I won't go there, but there, this scripture talks about, you know, better to live alone out in the desert than with a nagging wife. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't say vice versa. And I'm the one with the microphone, so. <laughs> oh, but I, usually I preach when mom's not here and I can get by with stuff. But let's flip over to this scripture, Proverbs 26 and verse 11. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. And I've read this scripture before and it's gross and it's nasty. But uh, bear with me, I'm going to tell you kind of a gross story that really brought this scripture to life to me the other day. Uh, so I have this dog named Lenny. And uh, for some reason, me and my and Pastor Dave, I don't know why we we just always have stories about our dogs. We always have issues with our dogs. I don't I don't quite understand why. But my dog, evidently, he had got a hold of one of his toys when I wasn't around and he chewed up and swallowed it. And then he uh, vomited it up in his room. And so I went in the next morning to take him out. And I noticed this pile of vomit. And I'm like, stupid, nasty dog. I'm like, so I put him outside, uh, you know, let him run around the backyard. And I had every intention of cleaning up that vomit later. But evidently it slipped my mind and I forgot about it. So the next morning when I get up to get him, the vomit's gone. And so I thought, well... Maybe Julie must have cleaned it up. That must have surely been what happened, because uh, I know I didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, I, put, I didn't see the vomit. I put him out back that day, and then I hear him coughing and gagging and being all gross and nasty. And he vomits up that exact same toy, that exact same piece of vomit. 
I'm like, did that stupid dog really just eat that thing that made him sick last time? And so I brought him back. I brought him inside and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to clean that vomit up. But I'm not telling myself I was being lazy that day. It's kind of hot. I never got around to cleaning up the vomit. Well, I may have been procrastinating as well. I never got around to cleaning up that vomit. So the next day, uh, except this time the vomit's on the back porch, uh, I pick up uh, on the patio, you know, like outside, it's outside. I take the dog outside the third day in a row, and as soon as he gets outside, that dog makes a beeline for that nasty vomit. And so at that point, I realized that it wasn't going to clean itself when I cleaned the vomit before he could eat it a third time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. In fact, if I hadn't seen that, it'd probably still be out there. You know, I'm, I'm behind the pulpit. I can't lie. But the Bible says that we're the same as that stupid dog that keeps eating his own vomit if we keep falling for the same things over and over again. So we need to quit sinning. <laughs> but the good news is, if you follow these steps, and like we read at the beginning, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, one last kind of final thing I was thinking about, you know, there's no more spiritual condemnation, but there might still be some some natural repercussions, you know. If you committed a crime and you're in and, and you're in prison or something, just because you repent and you're truly repentant, in God's eyes, someone in prison who repents is no better than, than me or you or your good old sweet granny or whatever. But in the natural, they're probably going to have to still finish that prison sentence just because you turn to Jesus doesn't get you out of it. Or uh, back to our opening video, maybe you might be stuck with a, a no regrets tattoo. Yeah. But uh, let's flip back to Romans 8.1. I wanted to get ready to close there. In fact, uh, if Will wants to, I don't know where he is, but if he wants to, to get ready to come up. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel regretful. You don't have to feel condemned. But in order to receive the promises, you need to start by having that godly sorrow. You need to move from sorrow into repentance. And from repentance, you have to quit sinning. You can't keep doing it. But once you do all of that, it's in the past. God forgets it. He never thinks about it ever again. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You can finally live with no regrets. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to get ready, actually, uh, to go into a time of communion. So if the ushers could go ahead and get ready. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.